gorgeous out. Let's pop some docks. This is the Updock Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Meaden, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Book Podcast. My name is Tyler Meaden. I am joined by just again this week one co-host, the Rooster Assassin, Jeff Ludicky. What's up, Jeff? What's going on, Tyler? You know, I'm just wondering when Matt's going to come back from his mysterious vacation that will not vacation, his mysterious hunting trip that we'll finally learn a lot about. Yeah, I don't even think the listeners know where he was geo- geologically or anything. It was very secretive. Yeah, I don't even know where he was either. So you know, it's it's all good. I know the I know the continent he was on. That's about That's it. Right. That's right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. He was shooting ducks. Hopefully, but we're yeah. gonna find out more probably on the next episode here. Yes, yes, yes. We will. Uh, before that, though, we have to obviously do this episode, which I'm excited to learn a whole bunch about. But Jeff. What's on the desk tonight? What are you drinking? I got the Lining Kugels Northwoods Amber. I think Ooh. it was a newer, a newer one this year. Have you had that one? I have not. That sounds good, though. I don't know why I'm asking you. There's probably a lot of beers that you have never had, <laughs> especially if they're newer beers. But yeah, Northwoods Amber. It's yeah. a, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's a good beer. I like ambers. What can I say? I like yeah. I'm not. A, yeah, I like ambers. So that would be. I would. I would definitely be open to trying that if you've got enough in the fridge that'll last a little while. We'll see. Lonnie yeah. Kugels is pretty solid though. Most of their beers are pretty, pretty good. Pretty basic. Pretty good. Excellent. Yeah. 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 You got to hold up the can. I need to take. It, I need to see it. I need to see the see the can here. What do we got? So I was thrown off a little Ooh, bit by this bottle, bottle. seeing how it's brown. And generally, brown labeled bottles usually indicate a darker beer. So it took me a little while to pull the trigger on this one, but it's definitely not a dark beer. It's just an amber. So excellent. Yeah. Right. It's good. Interesting. Good, good. All right. Uh, enough of that. Let's bring in our guest tonight. It is Hunter Colbert from Kent Cartridge. He's going to educate us or probably me on uh, everything shot shells. So Hunter, welcome to the Up Duck podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the way we usually start with all gas is just, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Not we, we don't want to talk about Kent yet. We'll turn, we're going to talk plenty about shot shells and about Kent Cartridge. But where are you located? Where are you from? Um, just give us some background so we get to know you a little bit. Yeah. So I'm from a little town called Shepherdstown, West Virginia. You guys are in a history at all. We're right outside of like Antietam Battlefield. Mm-hmm. That's literally like I do all my fishing where uh, I guess it would be the South cross back across the river to like get away from Antietam. That's like one of the best, best fishing spots in my area. Um, lived in West Virginia my whole life, went to WVU and met my, what is now boss at a bar and took off from there. And that's been, uh, been with Kent coming up on five years now here in April. Okay. All right. You met him at a bar. Yep. Before you were employed at Kent Cartridge. Yep. I, to be honest, I didn't even know Kent was uh, like manufactured in West Virginia. So it was crazy to be like, oh yeah, it's 10 minutes down the road. Like it, it's, it's crazy how hidden it is. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that either. So I'm very curious about this. Where you, so he tells you he works for Ken Cartridge. You're like, well, I would love to work there. And he says, well, I've got an open job. Or how did that? How did that? Yeah. So it was he was looking for some. It started with him looking for somebody. And I graduated with a criminology degree. Or I guess it'd be a sociology degree with an emphasis in criminology. So I did not think I was going to end up in the outdoor space at all. Uh, grew up watching like the old uh, Bone Collector, Michael Waddell, all those guys. Loved the shows, but just outdoor space seems so impenetrable to get into. Figured do something that's safe, be your county sheriff or whatever it would have been, and just stumbled into him. Got to talking about, I can't even remember what we talked about at this point, but it was like five, six months later had a job so that all works out in its own weird way that's awesome that's crazy i know you mentioned that west virginia wasn't it wasn't on your radar for a shot shell manufacturer but i know you guys are huge in the waterfowl space now is duck hunting big in west virginia buddy if you want to shoot mergansers i i can put you on a couple mergansers people, uh, people want to shoot mergansers that's a thing no i'm the only <laughs> yeah. idiot that sits on the river and hunts um i tell my wife uh, it's recreational animal watching 90 percent of the time um it, we the only good duck hunting we had all year was the week of shot show and it was when it was just so cold everything froze up so i had guys killing mixed bags that were just I mean, they could, the one guy killed a long-tailed duck, two ruddy ducks, a canvas back, and a redhead in one hunt. And that's the same thing. It was like, what? And it's a half mile up the river from where I normally hunt. So it's just like, this is that figures. It's the perfect timing. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple, I mean, a little bit of mallards, a couple gadwall early, a lot of wood ducks. But main thing on the menu you can count on is mergansers. So, now, do, do, you, eat, do you eat mergansers? Too uh my dogs do uh they <laughs> don't know the difference. <laughs> yeah yeah my dogs dogs love it but i mean i haven't tried it um I, i'd be interested a time or two yeah i'm sure it's all about the preparation just like anything but i know you said you grew oh, yeah. up fishing did you grow up hunting primarily when you're as, as a kid too yeah big turkey hunter um Turkeys. Okay. i guess i'm a waterfowl hunter by trade now but turkey hunting is is what i i have a huge passion for that um and then whitetail hunting um waterfowl hunting is kind of i started that at like 17 18 i want to say just because nobody around here is really dumb enough to do it um it's starting to change a little bit there's more guys showing up late season or like the sunny days like 30 40 degrees i've been out there snowing all kinds of stupid stuff and it's it's changing but there's not to go around so it's kind of pointless to do honestly so would you say fishing is probably the outdoor activity of choice in your neck of the woods yeah um we have so we have the tumic on the west side of us and the shenandoah on the east side of us so we get kind of the best of both worlds on it um a lot of big bass muskies big catfish it's it's a pretty neat little area that's cool that's cool <laughs> that's great um all right, so I have to ask. You said dogs. What kind of dogs do you have? So I have my my wife kind of dictates the amount of dogs. I would never have the amount of dogs with this. So we have a four year old golden retriever, a two and a half year old silver lab, and we just picked up a 
got a yellow lab puppy here in December. Ooh, you got so a house full. A house full is correct. Yes. That is. Uh, yes, indeed. How How is that puppy treating you or treating your wife uh, when you're traveling too? So he has been pretty chill. He broke his leg. Um, and he's like 10, 11 weeks old, broke his leg. So he's coming out. He just got out of his cast last week and he has turned into a nightmare. Um, just the energy wise is, <laughs> I don't know how to do, I mean, jumping on everything, biting everything. We call him our Marley puppy. Just the, the, all the other puppies we've had have been very chill, calm, collected. And then this is just a Satan reincarnated. It's just, it's a mess. That's great. Did you did you like did you pick him out from a certain breeder or something where he's supposed to be your super high drive or crazy or anything like that? No. Uh this is gonna turn into a bit of a trend, but at a bar. Uh and uh got on Facebook and my wife was out of town. And uh well, I guess to come full circle, we had a German Shepherd that uh we had lost like a month before that, kinda unexpectedly. So and that was only boy dog that we've had and that was kind of like the dog we got in college and then i had a couple of beers at a bar saw a cute yellow lab on facebook and next morning didn't tell her didn't do anything when picked him up so no rhyme or reason to it uh he's doing pretty good with the training uh a couple but he's been retrieving uh what are the buffalo heads and mallard wings just sliding them across the garage and grabbing them and coming and bringing them back to me so just getting him starting from scratch and just a little bit of consistency even when it was in his cast he was doing it so it's been cool to watch him progress from that point it's fun that's the great part about puppies is how fast they learn and progress and the worst part about puppies is pretty much everything else yeah um, no he uh, well, if, so he's very much like a toddler where if he's asleep you move mountains not to wake him up i would go get him right now i mean he's the cutest freaking thing in the world like super he's almost like white lab and he's got powder blue eyes like he's super super unique looking but he'd be up till three o'clock in the morning and i just don't even want to don't even want to entertain that i understand i'll just say that i understand um all right so i i love these stories here i i really hope we have more that come out of starting in a bar um <laughs> <laughs> whether it's dogs or jobs and so let's let's look back to the job though right so you work at ken cartridge um if i mean folks that are listening to this podcast should know who ken cartridge is they mm -hmm. right you should have run across as you're you're hunting birds you're going to run across ken cartridge can you give us just way back when just give us the history of ken cartridge though we, we i guess we'll we'll start there with kent and then work our way into some more of the yeah stuff. so if you could go back far enough we were in or are you guys familiar with active shot shells i'm not i have would have been either. like early to mid 90s is when that started to fizzle out so we bought the active the old active plant so we all we still run in their old facility and it's little it's an old uh like plantation farm sits on about 300 acres uh which we let employees hunt which is super cool i think last year i just pulled all my cameras and kind of consolidated all the different stuff we had we probably had 15 20 different three and a half year old bucks that like next year is going to be next year's going to be something special at that place um 
but we've been there, been in there since 97, um, just pumping out shells. And in the past, I want to say we started the rebrand two years before I came on. So it would have been 20 late 2017, early 2018. And there's not a product that we had in 2018 that is still alive. Really. We've kind of put new life to the brand as a whole and made huge strides. And I mean, COVID where everybody was kind of bending back a little bit, we sprung ourselves so far forward. It's we're really starting to see the dividends that we, uh, we cut back in 2020. It's been cool. Yeah. Is that where the, no, it's the fast deal 2.0. Is that when you guys did that rebrand? Is that when the 2.0 came out? Yep. So okay. 2.0 kind of started everything or no 2.0 kind of concluded everything. Uh, we brought back out bismuth fast led got a kind of tweak that a little bit. Um, target loads we've kind of gone out with with the way that the market's gone uh like just the way that steel waterfowl is selling right now our target loads have kind of taken a hit to that just staying in the trying to make as many waterfowl loads as we can um but yeah everything's in brand new packaging packaging updated doesn't look like you're it's not the same shell as your grandpa shot i can put it that way yeah i remember i think it was probably 20 years ago now i started shooting kent's and i've i've shot kent for quite a long time it was i remember i i did a snow goose hunt i went out to colorado snow goose hunting with a, a high school buddy of mine we met his uncle who lived, lived out there at the time and he shot exclusively kent that's all he would shoot and i was a high school kid you know kind of just starting to get into hunting a lot more and i didn't really know the different manufacturers or what was good or what wasn't but he shot a lot of geese and uh i knew that's what he used so that's what i started using and i've been using that ever since but i still remember i think they were just the old gray like the silver grayish boxes that they used to have yep <clears throat> i still have some of those old goose loads i think in my in my ammo box but yeah i've been shooting kents for a long time now it's yeah, uh it's been 27 years at this point That's yeah cool. so i i almost started pretty close to after Kent started becoming a thing. Yeah. And I don't think they were very well known at that time. Um, and if I remember right, they were probably one of the more premium, high-end, expense, expensive shot mm -hmm. shells at that time. Yeah. Um, but now it seems like they've gotten a lot more competitive with a lot of the other manufacturers too, price-wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's interesting too, because I remember growing up and we, I. I was raised, we just kind of, we shot a smorgasbord, right? We shot Kent, we shot pretty much everything, right? Whatever, yeah. I, you know, my my uncle um, at one time was a very competitive uh, trap shooter in the state of Wisconsin. Like one of the top ones in the entire state. We're talking, you know, high 90s average. And so, you know, he, he tried a lot of different shells and he reloads and all that stuff. So we tried a lot of different stuff too when we were hunting. And um the the rebrand that you're talking about it looks it's so different it's like a brand it's like a whole brand new it's company. a whole new company yeah it, mm -hmm. it is wild to look i mean even from like the internal stuff we looked at a price list at shot show that had like gotten tucked into something that was from 2019 and we pulled it out and put it next to or it was yeah it was a price list so i turned our price list last year because nobody looks at price lists and catalogs and all that stuff. They, they look at it and it's like, okay, there's that. And they put it away. So I turned ours last year into a calendar as well. So people actually look at it and looking at it, it is night and day 
the difference on like even internally not even the like outward facing stuff how much it's changed it's it's bizarre to look at stuff from back then it's it's crazy and i was and i was you know obviously prepping for our conversation here i was perusing your website i actually didn't realize you made training loads either mm -hmm. when did yep. uh, I, I do a lot of i do a lot of like dog training stuff like hunt test type stuff when did you guys mm -hmm. get into get into that um that was there in 2019 when i started uh okay. with covid and everything else that happened that was another thing that took a huge hit just from components like we need to make stuff that our people use um so that it is starting to make a we're starting to make larger runs of it again being able to get components in on a consistent basis that we know what's coming rather than i mean two years ago we had an order in and they would say this is coming we would get it and it would be something completely different i mean we had uh, some i think a lead line we had a guy call in he's like i got a red i got red shells i got gray shells i got black shells like what is what is what um so it's components is finally starting to cool off a little bit so we're going to be able to be a little bit broader than we were the past couple of years sure sure i mean but you, like you said that you got to go where the demand is yep and so and it, i mean you know I'm, obviously i'm fairly privy to you know some of the struggles of not just the outdoor space but brands companies everywhere trying to get the components to make their products and how much of a struggle that was during yeah during COVID, so it's pretty, yeah, pretty it's a, crazy. It's a nightmare. So, um, no, that's it's it's cool to look at. It's cool to watch. It's cool to think about just the evolution and 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 such. Um, with that with that rebrand, how much changed in the manufacturing of your shells? Like what what type of tweaking with the, with with everything took place? So that's another thing that's super unique about Kent even before the rebranding started the components that we use are are top of the line that we still now like trying to find the correct way to use different powders to get to different velocities like i my boss beats this end of my head on a daily basis but what we have under the hood is like cut open a kent shell there's not a, there's not going to be anything like pellet wise no rust on it it is going to be perfectly solid and they're all going to be the same size you're not going to find any discrepancies in anything like that you dump the powder out light it you're going to have to burn it once it's not your it's it's super unique in how well everything with that is put together um we don't try to cut corners on anything it's all we try to take care of the people that take care of us absolutely right quality quality is the name of the game yeah i mean uh, quality matters performance counts it's, it's something that we live by yeah no it does right because if you're producing a quality product people are going to come back and buy it i mean that's the that's that's yeah it. you have good experiences it pays for itself instantly mm -hmm. exactly no exactly. do you have any idea on average how many shells or how many boxes of shells kent's put out in a a typical day oh my god i it's a lot like several pallets worth of shells um it, it varies day by day depending on what we're putting out but i mean it could be as probably anywhere from like probably close to about a dozen pallets a day i'd say 
Okay, that's Roundabout. significant. I would assume most of all of your manufacturing is all automated. There's not a whole lot of manual labor going on there, right? No, no, not really. It's pretty, pretty automated. It's weird how small of an operation it takes to. Like, we're not a big company by any means. It's like, I think our whole company has like 30 people. So it's it's all pretty, pretty tight and hilarious how much a dedicated staff can put out. Yeah, no, the automation side of things can just make things so much more efficient these days. It's it's unbelievable. The productivity you can have when you introduce automation into your facility, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's it's crazy what it can do. Yeah. yeah. Jeff is an engineer, so he's all over that. I was definitely yep. an engineer. That was definitely an engineer's type question. I can't believe you have 30 people total at the company. That blows my mind. Yeah, yeah that's it's, that's wild. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like all the uh like everybody always when I go to these, like because I do I handle all like the out outward facing shows and stuff like that. And everybody's like, Why do you look so familiar? It's like, well, I probably saw you in a different city. Realistically, more than likely last weekend. Like it's it is hilarious how small we are, but how big we make ourselves look. Um, it's it's cool. That's and, and that's the thing, right? When I like, I can't believe you're that small because you do like, you know, appearance wise, I think of Ken as just a mammoth. I don't think of like a 30 person, you know, super lean, hyper efficient type of company that's putting out like a crazy high quality product that just that i'm i'm blown away by that i'm not i'm gonna be thinking about that probably for the rest of this podcast here yeah no it's 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 crazy to be able to look at and be like okay that's what all right like i once again not knowing anything about shot shells when i walked into that factory for the first time i was like okay where's the rest of it at like this doesn't yeah. it doesn't make sense to me so it, it's it's cool but i mean those guys but i get i every time i'm on a podcast i always tip my hat to those guys because covid they kicked COVID's ass. Like our factory guys, man, they knocked it out of the park. It was super cool to be able to see everybody adapt super quick. I think it was like two weeks that we kind of were like, okay, how are we going to handle this? Figured it out, took a course, and then they just put on the pedal till, I mean, I mean, we're still pumping out at record numbers. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to talk about getting better and better. I want to talk about COVID and the pandemic for a little while too. I mean, that was such a, a weird time in history, especially when it came to finding ammo on the shelves. <laughs> now, what do you what do you think was the main reason why that became so bad? Was it just supply chain issues trying to get materials from outside the country? Like what, what was the main driver there? So you have our side of things. We get a lot of our stuff from all over the world. Um mm -hmm. We got stuff from China, France, Italy, like Game Boy in the UK. If you guys are familiar with them, they're our sister company. Um, we, it, it wasn't getting components. It was getting the right components at the right time. Like, so in the middle of the pandemic, they, we get all of our halls pre-primed from Shadit. And in the middle of the pandemic, those shipping those in became considered hazardous material because of technically explosives, I guess, with the amount that we were having brought in. So they would sit at port and it would take truck would hook up to it and then they would have to get scanned and that would take a couple hours. So truckers wouldn't be able to make two trips in a day coming up, taking the hauls to us, going back, picking something else and getting two trips. They'd only be able to get one trip. So they effectively start charging as double for the same stuff they were doing last week based off some new 
new thing. So it, I'd like literally everything you could think of got jacked up. But at the same time, I think there was a lot of hysteria in society. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody ever dealt with that before. Right. I mean, like maybe your great, great, great grandfather that was alive in the like 19 teens or whatever. Was it was it the Spanish flu in the early 1900s? Is that what that yeah, was? Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, like the 19, it was around like 1918, I think. Something yeah, like some yeah. stupid like that. Like nobody's ever dealt with it. Like, I mean, you got to think we had people f- buying years worth of toilet paper. Like, like there's so much stupid shit that happened during, like, it feels like a fever dream looking back on it now, but it does. Like you got, you had guys that were buying like three or four boxes, like a hundred rounds would go buy like 10 cases at a time or try to buy 10 cases thinking that Biden was trying to take their, I like, dude, the phone calls that we got, you would lose faith in a lot of society based on some of the calls that we were getting. I mean, it was so stupid. Some of the people that would call in. Now, a lot of the guys understood once you gave them like a logical answer, but most of the time they didn't want to hear anything. They called everybody else and heard the same spiel, but it's like, we're not making this up. Like if this is a legitimate concern, it's just people are going to listen to what they want to listen to, but yeah we weren't making anything up during that time i could tell you that much yeah yeah i can only imagine the amount of cases of shells that some people probably still have sitting in their basements that they bought during the pandemic that they haven't even gotten half through i mean it's it's probably just i mean not to be on the toilet paper thing again but imagine the dudes that have like years of toilet paper sitting in their basement like who feels <laughs> yeah. dumber in that situation it's just yeah. like well the, the good well the only the only thing is that you know toilet paper season is year round and duck season is you know mm-hmm. going to be pretty short so. <laughs> yeah that's very true <laughs> now after you guys got out of the woods from the pandemic was there any like strategic shifts or anything like that that have occurred now to kind of prevent I mean, obviously, you're not going to be able to prevent another pandemic, but say one does happen, were there any strategic shifts at the company to try to reduce the amount of risk of, of a similar situation? Uh, no, because there's not really anything you could do with that. And we're still not feeling the effects, but it's definitely like it's done have the stranglehold on us that it had 16 months ago, but it definitely has the same kind of feel to it. Um, like if you have five people that want 20% more of powder for say that's a hundred percent increase for the powder supplier. They're not going to be able to handle that. So it's, you're still recouping everything and trying to build back up to a healthy level while getting people to grow. So there's more out than there's ever been, but everybody wants more than there's ever been. So that it, it, the perception of it is there's nothing there but everybody has what they want. They just want more of what they normally get. So I don't think there's an ammo shortage. I just think people are buying at record levels more than anything. Yeah. yeah it's unbelievable that it's four years ago now and you're still feeling some of the negative side effects from that pandemic. Yeah. And it's just, just a heads up uh, powder is going to be a pain in the ass this year and election years are always a nightmare. So it's just going to restart that whole whole process so what you're what i'm hearing is is that 
I need to go to my local fleet farm and and pick up shells now for the upcoming fall hunting season and just prepare myself for shortages. Potentially, yeah, potential de shortages definitely things are crazy. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't go like completely berserk and buy like multiple cases, but if you are thinking that you don't have enough shells to get you through next year. If you have the opportunity to get a case, I know there's a lot of people. I got an email from Rogers this morning about a clearance closeout sale. I would definitely look at those. Snow goose season and getting shells. If you see, I've always told people if you see them, go ahead and, and it, you can afford to do it. And it's an okay decision. Definitely do it. I just, I would feel bad and I try to help all the people that call in that wait till. October, November to buy shells and they can't find any. I'll sit on the phone with them for 20 minutes, try to find an online retailer that has it. But if it's not there, it's not there. And it's just, we don't sell direct to consumer. So it's a whole nother side of the coin of just like, hey, buddy, like I, I can only help you so much. The person who waits till October, November to buy shells, that would be. That's Tyler, 100%. That's me. So there's a, there's a lot of Tylers out there. I can tell you. <laughs> he waits till mid season to buy himself a, a new pheasant vest as well. It's everything is a little bit, a little bit too late. Things just, I'm always a, a day late and a dollar short here. So I, yeah. I, you know, it's not like I need it. I don't even need a case. Like, you know, I don't shoot a lot of ducks. Let's be honest here. I just mm -hmm. don't. Um, I'm just kind of a pretty crappy duck hunter, but I really like it and I'm really getting into it. Um, it's a lot of fun, but I'm pretty crappy. So I don't need a case, but if I can go pick up a, a few boxes, I would be, um, I could do that. I could do that. Oh, I yes. could manage that shop. Don't you think? I think so. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I, no, I think that's a pretty good transition to, to start talking about shot shell selection. Yes. Right? Perfect. So I'm going to paint a picture here. Tyler mentioned fleet farm. So I'm cruising through our local fleet farm, cart full of, cashews and water softener salt i get to the ammo aisle where do i start you know i'm going out say i got a waterfowl hunt coming up where do i where do i go what do i look for besides look for the, the box that says pence so it all depends i mean it's on the eyes of the beholder um if you are your hunt a handful of times a year you're okay with just that 20 what in today's world is probably 20 to 30 dollar range um we have a product that we just came out with in june called fast steel plus it's a layered load uh you'll have your in a three inch we actually just came out with a three and a half inch um this year so you'll be able to get uh bb's twos twos and fours and fours and sixes in it um straight ducks fours and sixes is all you're going to need. Um, I've seen way too many videos of ducks just getting absolutely eviscerated with that in the timber this year. Uh, you're in the field hunting, have geese sand ducks come in. Uh, twos and fours are going to be everything you need and more. Um, I told a kid at the at one of the shows this year, the only thing I haven't killed with the twos and fours is an ostrich, but there's a guy up the road that's got an ostrich farm, so I might try to work something out with him. Um, and then big late season honkers, the BBs and twos. I mean, if you're a college kid or just the weekend warrior, fast steel plus all you're going to need and more. Um, if money is no object, can't go wrong with bismuth. Um, we have a pretty kick-ass heavy bismuth load, ounce and three eighths, fours and fives for waterfowl. 
and you ripping the wings off of geese at 40 yards with number fours is, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Now you guys have, you have a tungsten matrix too, right? That's uh, one of your patented shot shells. Yeah. So that is another thing that's getting reworked and played with. Um, so we don't have it on the market this year. Um, but we're trying to figure out a way how to bring that back and kind of modernize it and keep it up with the times. Um, there towards the end, that was another thing with, if you think bismuth and all that jazz was expensive, the tungsten matrix jumped up there. It was like getting close to $7 a trigger pull there at the peak of COVID. And that's just something it wasn't moving. We were making a lot of it and it's just kind of, we're going to try to play with it and see what we can, what type of, uh, Frankenstein-esque thing we can bring out of retirement. So now you you mentioned shot sizes, um, obviously gauge and length or other things, but I want to talk a little bit about velocity and shot charge. I think those are probably two things that maybe people look the least at when they're looking at a box of ammo. You know, how mm-hmm. important are speeds and and shot charge? Um so I'm always I'm a big proponent of pellet count. Accuracy by volume uh, is something that I preach to everybody that'll listen. Um, so the more pellets, the more likely one of those pellets is going to connect, right? That's kind of what you're saying here? Yeah, speed speed doesn't kill pellets, do. It's kind of like the uh, old saying, like, jumping off a skyscraper is not going to kill you. It's the sudden stop at the end that will. Um, if you get, like, the Fastio Plus that we have, I did all the R&D work on it. We took shells, I think it was like 1,600, and every 15 feet per second, dropping down all the way down to like 1,350 or something like that. We found that sweet spot, and it was 1,450, and the patterns you'll get off that are absolutely devastating at 40 yards, and you're still getting all the kinetic energy of twos, but with a slightly less full pattern than number fours so it's the best of both worlds you're getting stuff that'll knock birds down while still carrying a pretty significant amount of energy with it now the big thing to remember there is as the but as the shot charge goes up the pellet count goes up but the speed goes down with it at the same time correct yeah so the higher the so, shot charge the slower the, the overall speed yeah high Hypothetically, you could make some weird like bastard load of like an ounce and three eighths at like sixteen hundred feet per second, um, but in the for the most part, yeah, the higher so the uh, fast steel plus is like an ounce and a quarter, and in two point fast steel two we had it at fifteen hundred and dropped it down a little bit. Um, I want to say the fast steel. Let me double check this real quick. Um, the three and a half inch load is still at 1450 for fast steel plus, but it's, I want to say it's a heavier, no, it's an ounce and a quarter in the three and a half inch too. So we're at 1450 for everything but the 20 gauge. And the 20 gauge is just a one ounce load as well. So now there's a downside of obviously a, a larger shot charge as well though, right? You got more felt recoil. Do do people have more accuracy issues when they get into those more what quote unquote magnum loads? Or do you think it's it's not really doesn't make much of a difference when you're excited and shooting at ducks? Yeah, I would say the accuracy 
the most most of the time so going back to donating insane amount of time hunting ducks in west virginia i try to get some of my buddies that aren't as bright to come with me and go on their first duck hunt and go through all the trials and tribulations of that what i have found with those guys is they pick their heads up more often than not they're mm-hmm. not thinking of anything else they want to see what they're shooting at versus they're, they're looking at the bird and not looking down yeah the yeah they're picking their heads up and getting all excited i mean having mallards backpedaling in the decoys is kind of hard not to like focus on your gun a little bit but i would be interested to see how much people miss based upon doing weird things with their head i mean bow hunting even like is super when my dad missed a bull at probably six yards this uh september and he blames it on adrenaline wasn't thinking and all that so duck hunting isn't going to be anything different um but recoil i mean flinching all that stuff is it 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 plays a part in it but i would like to know how much people just getting excited and picking their heads up or not squeezing properly we get a lot of guys calling trying to figure out with the new inertia guns they're going from a pump to inertia and they're not holding their gun right and inertia needs recoil so their gun short stroking and they're having a hard time with it i was like look take your gun squeeze it till you shake and then back off a little bit and squeeze the three rounds off and you'll have no issues with it so it's just people i think people get a little excited and i i can't blame them it is what it is but so long story i guess yeah in a way recoil might mess everybody up but nerves also i think would play a pretty big part in that too yeah we had a tyler, we had a, tyler had a personal experience about that right with your new inertia gun your oh yeah affinity. I, yeah yeah i've had you know i i should franke affinity and i've had i've had issues with that too and it's i was just gonna say there's we had a guest one of our first guests on um his his saying was if you miss if you miss the mount you miss the bird right yeah. and i had inertia gunner and i was not i was missing the mount and i was having issues you know with it firing um mm-hmm. i didn't have that this year so apparently i did something different jeff i don't know um but yeah it, it makes right you get excited you miss the mount you don't you don't um you're not looking down the barrel like there's a lot of things that we do as hunters that probably screw things up yeah i mean look at it from a bow hunting perspective how many times not to kind of give any free ads out but i want to say it was cam haynes recently had a uh, it was this past fall my dad got me to watch it where he has like this whole it's like three or four sentences every time he draws his bow he says to himself and kind of has like the mental checkpoint of like okay anchor point cheek and go through that whole progression to shoot duck hunting you're getting like tenths of a second to be like i mean more often than not you're playing the awesome game of oh shit standing there talking to your buddies and then you look up and there's ducks backpedaling and everybody's like fumbling with their stuff so it's it's always fun but everybody misses yeah yeah sorry jeff i didn't mean to derail the conversation you should keep asking you should keep going on the line of questions that you're on these are good (laughs) um well my next my next one was on the box that i shoot the uh i shoot the fast steel 2.0 normally is usually what i end up buying it says mm-hmm. precision plated steel on there yep talk about that what, what does that what does that mean i mean it's it sounds a, it sounds cool but i want to know what it means 
So that is zinc-plated shot to help with corrosion. Because we had a bunch of guys uh, hunting down in Laguna Madre, which is like the most corrosive salt content in the continental U.S. or something. That's what the guy told me, at least. I have no idea if that's true or not. Don't quote me. Um, but it's just trying to keep water and duck hunting go hand in hand and trying to keep your shells as clean and the functionability of it as long as possible. Um, we have nickel plated heads as well, kind of in the same ballpark, real shiny, fun to look at, but it doesn't rust up very easily. Um, it's just high end components going back to that as well. Now you talk about corrosion and rust and things like that. What, what is, what is the typical shelf life on a shell? How long can it sit in my basement inside of an ammo box where um, I can safely the, shoot it? If the condensation and humidity in your basement is at a relatively low level, forever. That being said, don't be that guy that leaves your shells in your waiter pocket. Uh, yes. And I mean, when I tell you it takes a hilariously small amount of water to throw every type of variable in that shell to just a blender um i mean it's there's no shell on the market that is worth i mean shot, shotguns are every time you pull that trigger you have a small explosion going off right beside your head if you get your shells wet a two dollar shell is not worth whatever it is that could happen with that that's just play stupid games, win stupid prizes type of thing. Um, but it, I mean, it is like fractions of a drop of water getting in condensation, pulling it, having it sit in the boat, drop it in the water, pick it up, throw it in your shell bag that I just go ahead and just put that in the bucket and throw it away. It's not, not worth it at all. So if we see a little bit of rust starting to build up on the top, on the base of the shot shell, I've, I'm sure in the past I've just shoved it into the gun and fired away. Thanks. Now, Tyler, you've probably done the same thing. Now, yep. if you start to see that, it seems like it's it's probably the safer bet to uh, save yourself and save your $3,000 shotgun from uh, having some issues. Yeah, it's just in looking at it and dealing with the stuff that I deal with and the calls that I deal with, we'll have guys call in and be like, hey, shot the choke out of my gun, crack my barrel, whatever it may be, and we get the shells back, and it's literally like, we'll try to cut something open and it's just a column of shot that's welded together. The moisture gets into it and it just it turns it into a, a slug. I was going to say, it's it, got to be basically a slug coming out of there, yeah. Yeah, and it just doesn't, does not work in waterfowl chokes, I can tell you, I can tell you that with pretty, pretty good confidence. Um, and they're just like, yeah, I never got my shells wet never got anything we've had shells that we've cut open that we've got back that have had water drain out of them um i mean it is not worth the headache of you having to call us going through the process and then the awkward conversation on the back side of it where it's like hey dude these shells were soaking wet we can't really do anything it's just not end of the day it's not worth it just it's two dollars whatever it may be throw it in the water, save yourself the headache. Now with the, with the more high end loads, like the bismuth and the tungsten matrix and those types of shells, 
is there less risk of that occurring with those types of the higher end uh, shot shell? Um, no, but I the one thing that I have noticed is those guys do take the guys that are paying more for those shells aren't the same guys that are taking freaking steel wool and scraping the steel off their head, the heads of their shells. They're, they take the time with it. More often than not, they have a blind bag that's in a boat. The shells are in the gun or they're in the blind bag. They're not messing around with waders. They're in some big fancy blind on a rice field. Like they aren't, they aren't the same dudes that are public land banging on them 60 days a year, chest deep water. Um, it's all, it's all different. There's, I mean, it's still going to throw your powder gets wet. Your powder gets wet. Um, you're pretty much not going to have a good day with that. You'll get a lot of misfires that way. Um, but there's still everything, everything will still rust and you'll still end up with those freaking slug guns and a waterfowl load. Um, but there's not, unless it's sealed, which there's, I guess, in a couple of years, we might be able to get to that point of having everything completely sealed up and waterproof would be awesome to have. But once again, that price point jumps up, a, is going to jump up a good bit as well. Oh, for sure. The manufacturing of that's going to definitely get more, more advanced for sure. The price is going to go oh, up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we talked a lot about waterfall loads. Um, Kent, obviously Tyler talked about training loads as well, but Kent is also doing, I know you have uh, some upland loads. I saw some turkey loads on there now as well, right? Yep. So, so we why don't have, you talk about those a little bit? Yeah, so we have the one turkey load. It's been there since literally the start of the company. It's called uh, like Ultimate Turkey. Um, just a real heavy lead load. Same basic ideas. Our fast lead line, super heavy on the slower side of things, and it'll knock the everybody that shoots TSS cool i am knocking the snot out of birds with two ounces of lead sixes when that stops working for me i'll switch to the tss but as of right now i'm not having any issues with it um fast lead is i mean end all be all on your lead up the loads i mean they're heavy they're snappy and there's not much that's gonna be able to run from it um I mean, it's we had anything with wings, really. The upland side is upland fast lead is the way to go on that side, unless you end up in a non toxic requirement, which that's becoming a more prevalent thing on these game lands and everywhere else. Um, then you just switch to bismuth, and that's just non toxic lead. Um, and it's can't be beat other than price point, but. I mean, it's our fast lead line is one of the coolest things that we have if you're into the upland side of things. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of upland hunting and where we go. I mean, we do a lot of hunting in Iowa. And like you said, there's there's some areas like on private lands, you can use lead, but a lot of the public lands, you, you have to use steel. So we find mm -hmm. ourselves switching back and forth depending on where we're at um, within the state. Now we talked about shot size before. Now, what would be the equivalent? Say I'm shooting, I'm shooting number four or number fives in lead. If I need to switch to steel, what would be the equivalent in steel that I would want to switch to if I'm going back and forth? So our we actually we have a upland steel line as well. And I believe that's in five, sixes, and sevens. Um 
so I would probably stay with if you're shooting fives and lead, I would probably stay with the fives or maybe even drop down to a four with steel. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would that would be like a fasto 2.0 or even more realistically, like I said earlier, kill everything under the sun with it, switch to the fast steel plus two by fours. That would be another pretty I would be a pretty kick-ass upland load as well. Yeah. Um, and then bismuth, I would stay flat if you're shooting fives and lead, stay flat and shoot fives with the bismuth products as well. That was gonna be my question is okay, if I'm gonna f- switch to bismuth though on the upland side, do I I keep that flat or is am I looking mm-hmm. at yeah. Size, it's, it's, right? it's yeah, it's pretty close to lead. Okay. Okay. That's yeah, good. with the amount with the amount that we shoot, you know, switching to bismuth for our particular situation might actually make the most sense because then you're not having to switch different loads in and out of your vest and taking that risk that oh, I got a couple pieces, you know, I got a couple shot shells of lead in this pocket that I forgot about. Mm-hmm. Now the game warden stopped me, and now I'm in trouble. Yeah, I'm way too stupid for that. I would have bismuth, and just, I would be that one dude that leaves my the shells in my bag, and it would be like, oh well. Here we go. So yeah. I just I always tell people I'm way too stupid for that. I keep one. I'm not going to hunt with twos and fours and then like a five bismuth. I don't want to be fumbling around and try to shoot a goose with number five bismuth and have it just laugh at me. I'm yeah, I keep one thing in my bag and stick with it and try not to stray off of it too much. Even I mean, Jeff, even for some of the public land pheasant spots that we're hunting where we're at, uh there's plenty there's there's enough jump shooting of duck opportunities too that you could run into where business well, that, yeah that's also the thing yep yep yeah. and you don't even have to worry about it you just fire away bingo mm-hmm. right now like oh crap yeah. and I really those, really wish i was carrying some steel right now <laughs> yeah bismuth fives, got up. <laughs> yeah bismuth fives are hell on big ducks too so it'd be that'd be a all-around perfect setup for that okay mm, interesting all right all right, you got me thinking. I mean, I mean, Hunter, when when people come on here and they talk about their products, generally they end up with at least one new customer. Usually, there's three of us to pick from. But we like know. to say we're 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 pretty soft on this podcast. Yeah, so we are. We're we easy are. sales. <laughs> we're pretty easy sales. Yeah. I mean, like people don't even try. They just talk about. It. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm buying. What, I'm that's, picking up. That what sounds good. That sounds, yeah, good. sounds good. All right. All right. Sounds yep. Good. I mean, half the battle is just being able to talk to people. So it works. That's, that's true. right. That's true. <laughs> That's great. Jeff, keep it rolling. You're on fire here. Well, that was all. That was the only questions I had left for for shot shell selection. Tyler, you don't have any more for that? No, you you nailed you nailed everything. You even you even transitioned over to Upland where I was gonna I wanted to ask about Upland too. Yeah. Um, I guess my question, Hunter, is like what's what's next from a technology and innovation standpoint in the world of shot shells? Is there anything you can share with us that's coming down the pike? Not that I can share just yet. But I can tell you it's, it's a good time to be a fan of Kent. Okay. And especially a new fan of Kent. The stuff, and I'm not just doing this to smoke and mirrors. I'm pretty straightforward. There's a couple things we have coming down the pipe that I'm really, really looking forward to getting my hands on a couple years beforehand, even. But it it there's a lot of potential to have a lot of fun the next couple of years in the waterfowl space. Okay. I was going to ask if it's in the waterfall or upland space, but there's there it is. It's in the waterfall space. Okay. Yeah. A little bit there. Waterfowl's kind of 
what we're known for, the space that we'd like yeah. to play in a lot. Yeah. Upland stuff is kind of going to be what it is. I guess the next major move for us in the Upland space is going to be if lead ever gets that complete ban, that would kind of force our hand to, I mean, we have what we have with our fast lead line. We have three lines in the Upland space that are pretty kick-ass. And there's not, there's always room for innovation, but the waterfowl side, we have so much, so much to catch up on and so much already loaded up, ready to go. Yeah. Awesome. All right. And on that note though, too, like how long does it take? How many, like if you're doing R and D on, on a new line, like how many years does it take before that actually comes to market? Um, so it could be pretty quick. Um, depending on what it is, we started kicking the fast steel plus load right i guess covid happened four years ago like just about today <laughs> right around yeah pretty pretty close to that um we started that probably in august of 2020 and that was teed up ready to go by december it was just getting everything we didn't need to come out with a new product anything that we would have made we would have sold so it was trying to find the right time that we could put a product out and stand it up on its own merit versus just putting makeup on a pig kicking it out the door sticking trying to stay true to what kent's known for um and the perception like all the feedback and stuff that we've gotten back from it has been um like it's been awesome it's the first product i've ever launched so it's been super cool to see the feedback and how the switch in so I, uh, another hat that i wear is i handle all kent's socials so seeing the switch from fast steel 2.0 which i've seen for four years at that point jumping to fast steel plus and it's like every picture we get tagged in is fast steel plus it was such a cool thing to do it's just i can't the kent community that's backed us up on that it's been a super humbling experience but I mean, if it's there and there's a runway for it, it could be six months. It could be a year. It just depends on what level of uh, effort we want to put into making sure everything's our, what our eyes are crossed and our T's are dotted. Um, we're just kind of staying on top of the ball with it. No, that's good. That's awesome. Uh, I think uh, I'm excited, right? You've got me excited. I'm just, you know. I'm I'm sold. Just I can't wait to see what's what's coming down the pike here. So, um, Jeff, what other questions do you have for Hunter? The only other one I had left was we talked a lot about um, shot shell selection. Now, if you're switching to Kent or switching to a different manufacturer or switching to a Bismuth or a Tungsten or whatever it may be, how important is it for somebody to pattern their shotgun with a new type of shot shell that they're purchasing? So. Pandora's boxes. Very realistically going to get open for you guys with this question. Um, <laughs> every gun and shell is different. Um, I've done a lot of patterning with a lot of different guns and a lot of different chokes. I have no idea how guys jump into like the aftermarket chokes, even if you guys have jumped into that world yet be prepared it is expensive and i don't know how guys do it and just spend a hundred plus dollars on a choke 
get their shells and then have it not work how they want it to work would be just a mind-blowing experience um modified chokes factory chokes are there for a reason the best patterns i get when doing our stuff is all modified chokes um and your point of aim is another big thing if you want to get an actual true test of what your pattern looks like don't shoot standard don't shoot freehand put it on a lead sled shoot 40 yards and with the videos that i see of guys online don't put a dot on the paper shift your circle to where the like biggest cluster of pellets are that's your point of impact not where you aim is not where you're going to hit like it's a shotgun it scatters like they do what they do benelli shoot high left is what everybody says so that your pattern will drift high to the left and you can kind of shift that circle to where the pattern is versus where that random dot is that'll be the biggest thing and at the end of the day number two steel is not going to have the same pellet count as number nine tss um i feel like a lot of guys kind of hold they're looking at turkey videos and you see like a turkey head just get absolutely smoked at 40 yards with a thousand pellets of tss versus 152 pellets a number two shot they're like oh my pattern is horrible this is not what this is supposed to look like it's like well there's a couple more pellets in that tss load than what you're shooting a goose load with and it's just perception is reality uh everybody wants to look cool and make a turkey head disappear at 40 yards but in reality a goose load's not going to do that at all so it's just that's another thing i feel like it's hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around yeah now when you guys do your r d for all your stuff are you using you know a whole bunch of different shotguns and a whole bunch of different shotgun manufacturers when you're when you're working on this stuff or how does that work oh yeah so we have i mean we have every type of shotgun under the sun um, I think we have two, like, 50 or 60 gun safes that have shotguns, like, falling out of them. Um, it's kind of hilarious to, like, go through the list and be like, okay, where's this at? Where's this at? Where's this at? Like, we have multiples of every major shotgun manufacturer. So, it's there's a freaking, like, 30-year-old Mossberg 500 in the back of one of the safes. Like, it's it's an yeah, OG. I, I had a couple of those. Awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's super cool. Oh, that's awesome. All right. So, so long story short, it's very important to pattern your gun. I, I think that's probably something that is very overlooked and people just want to throw the shotgun and the shells in the truck and go and try to kill some birds. I, I don't think people yep. normally want to take the amount of time or maybe they don't even have the, the land opportunities or the resources to be able to do it. You know, that's another yep. issue too, is finding a, you know, a spot where you can actually do this if you're not a landowner yourself yeah and the other side of the coin like the okay so i got two different perspectives on it one every rifle season whitetail hunters outdoor hunters you're you know exactly what your gun's doing you know yep and that's uh, that's in the same vein you got to have access for it you got to have the time to do it um but no, a thing that i've seen recently um online and i talked to him somewhere but i can't remember where i talked to him it's called pattern pros it's they take uh they have a bunch of different ammo manufacturers that they're working with and they take and put it's like three or four shells 
from each company and you can pick what companies you want to shoot in different configurations and they put it in one in one box and ship it to you so you can kind of get a loose idea of what patterns best out of your gun using that now it's like four or five different companies in each box and it worked i mean it works i'd be super interested in it if i was an end user and i didn't want to spend thirty dollars a box for something i'm going to shoot three rounds of and realize i don't let it done working my gun mm-hmm. that's fascinating yeah, yeah. tyler have you ever patterned your shotgun if i pattern my shotgun uh, <laughs> Am I drinking beer tonight? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I no. think it's probably the average, the average answer I, for the majority of hunters, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, it probably really is. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I like how you make the analogy to, to deer hunting. So I grew up, I grew up, I started deer hunting with everything. Right. And I mentioned mm-hmm. my uncle or whatever, right. Very, very much into competitive trap shooting. Right. He's got a $10,000 shotgun, this and that. Um, he also happened to live out in the country. Like he's a firearm ballistics yeah. guy. He reloads all his shells. And so we had a range and, you know, we were always prepared for deer season. We were always out there sighting in our guns, making sure everything was spot on, right? Where we're looking at ballistics and it's like, okay, my 30 odd six, right? With this load, um, you know, at, at this grain of bullet, we're going to sight it in four inches high at, hundred yards and then at you know 300 yards it's going to be two inches two inches low so from mm-hmm. a deer out to 300 yards you can feel great putting the crossers on and pulling the trigger and knowing that that shell is or that that you know you're going to probably put a kill shot on that deer yet we i we never once patterned our shotguns yep you know it's 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 yeah i'm sitting here thinking about it and it's just a, it's a really interesting contrast as far as how we approach things um, yeah I don't know. I don't, I don't know why that is. And I, I wonder if that's more common or if that was just the way that, you know, the family that I grew up in or how, how, how it works, but it's, it's interesting. You talk about that. You make that analogy. It makes me think about my own experiences. Yeah. I, I still, a lot of that. I give a lot of credit to the guys that first started coming out with the TSS stuff. I feel like patterning shotguns 10 years ago did not exist. And you get these guys, their their whole marketing was watch this turkey head disappear. And then now it's like everybody just is kind of trying to chase that high. And it's just from waterfowl fowl side of things, you're not getting the same pellet count on that. Like it's you're not gonna be able to get that softball size group at 40 yards. It's just not like you're going from a softball to a 30 inch circle and just hoping you get 80 couple percent of your pellets in that circle so it's it's a completely same game but different different uh ballpark yeah well it's amazing the amount of hours and the money that we pour into bird hunting and it seems silly when you think about that and how precious our time is and how little we get to actually go out and take advantage of it to not pattern your gun and potentially miss an opportunity because you don't know how your gun shoots it it seems Mm -hmm. silly when you think about it honestly yeah i mean think about all the hours you spend scouting finding that x getting on that x sleepless nights thinking about your decoy spread and then you get out on the water and you're shooting two feet behind birds and it's like well aim a little bit bit low forward you're shooting low and behind and it's just like but it's also really 
awesome to make fun of those guys that can't hit the broad side of a barn and don't know where they're going and they don't know where they're going. So it's just it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, you got to have one in every group, right? I hunt with a couple of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it's all about. It's about busting your your hunting buddy's chops, right? That's right. that's what yeah. we're there for. Yeah. No, uh, I got a buddy that says, what how is he? I'm gonna butcher this. Says if you feel like if you don't feel like less of a man after hanging out with your friends, they're not your friends anyway. <laughs> I like that. See, Tyler, mm-hmm. I, I like to give you a lot of crap, but it's for it's yeah. for a good reason. It's all good. I can handle it, Jeff. All right. I, I, don't worry. I'll steal your moniker back at some point again. That's right. That's right. So, um, all right. I don't have anything else, Hunter. Jeff, do you have anything else? And we keep kind of keep. Well, the way we kind of we kind of wrap up and we get into what we call these sky blasting questions. Yes. But before we do that, just give us the elevator pitch for Kent Cartridge. Why oh. should somebody switch? to Kent if they're they're thinking about it or they're looking at a different shot shell manufacturer. Mm. That's been a while since I've heard that. Uh, quality, I would say. The care that goes into the shells from the time the first component shows up to the time it gets put on that UPS truck or whatever it is to the store it goes into to really seeing everything on the social side of things we're a company we're a very tight-knit group care about the product that goes out the door whether it's fast deal fast lead anything and at the end of the day we're all hunters and we know what it is we use the products and we kind of stand on business i guess to kind of take part of whatever that trend started with um but we get we care about our products and we care about the people that use our products and it's just if you give us a try i would love to hear criticisms or even just talking normal hunting experiences any of the kent social media pages would love to chit chat and kind of figure out what everybody else has felt awesome hey i still can't get over that it's a, a company of 30 employees like Tyler said it too. You guys have this like massive presence and you get a feeling that it's this huge company, but it's pretty cool to know that it's, it's just 30 people that are, that are making everything happen and making all the wheels turn over there. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's super cool to be a part of, and especially looking at what it looked like four or five years ago to now, like it's a completely different ball game. It's only growing. We're picking up steam. Like I said earlier, it's a great time to be a fan of Kent. Or if you've never heard of it, never tried it, give us a give us a try on it. It's a couple years. It's going to be a completely different ball game all over again, and it's going to be it's going to be a fun thing to be a part of. All right. Okay. I think that's a I think that's a great that's a great way to wrap it up or end this end this part of the show and head into sky blasting questions which jeff or jeff just mentioned so hunter we wrap this thing up we call them sky blast sky blasting questions we had another guest refer to them as sort of the kiss my ass shots right these are questions that we're just gonna rifle off to you and essentially first thing that comes to your mind you just spit out the answer these could be hunting related they could be non-hunting related they could be they could be movie trivia related super bowl related it could be anything under the sun we'd like to just have fun as we sort of sort of wind things down here okay 
And we're talking to a shot show manufacturer here too. So I, I'm pretty sure he probably doesn't mind if you kiss my ass shots or sky blasting going on. That's just uh, right. more ammo flying out. Of yeah. The more ammo out the door. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Keep missing those shots. Blast away. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I'll go first, Jeff. I'll ask a question first and you can jump right. in here too. Um, so what was the most memorable hunt you went on this past season? Oh, oh, this is actually a good one. Uh, so I went on a hunt with, uh, it was hosted by Lucky Duck. You guys have heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yep. We did a dove hunt in the Texas Northern Panhandle. Um, and I, the guy at Lucky Duck, funny enough, has never killed a dove before. So we did a spot and stalk dove hunt in Texas on a, uh, on a nice morning dove. That was pretty. That was probably one of the most memorable hunts of the year. Um, waterfowl hunting just sucked in West Virginia, and I didn't get to go out as much as I normally do. But it was that was probably one of my best my best ones of the year. That's awesome. We we had a little stock in or a spot and stock dove hunt in the snow here this last year, Tyler. I got to tell you, dove hunting is it's fun. It was my first time doing it this last year, and we did it in the snow. It was a goose hunt turned dove hunt, but man, it was it was a good time. Oh man! It, so you guys have never done like a legitimate like silage cut cornfield dove hunt? I Not, haven't. Yeah, Tyler, you you've probably done a little bit more closer to that than I, me. I've done I've done a few real dove hunts. Not not like a silage cut cornfield. Um, like I've done like an opening day up here, mm-hmm. like surrounding a sunflower field, and then just birds just keep coming, and yeah. you're just burning through ammo like there's no tomorrow because you swear you're on you're right on them and then they do the little you know dip and dive and you're mm-hmm. like okay i just wasted three more shells and the birds are still flying i don't quite understand yeah. it cool. look i i have a video on my phone that from a fresh cut cornfield this year in september and we killed i took my little cousin out with me and we killed 30 birds in 32 minutes and we went through between the two of us it might have been four boxes of shells like it, they were awesome. I, having like 15 doves cupped up at 10 feet is just the dumbest thing. In the world. Like they look like flies on the video. It's just, it's, it was so stupid. And the fact you can just sit on a bucket, essentially kind of out in the middle of nothing and they just keep coming. Oh yeah. Like just giving it up. Just yeah. like, I wish mallards would do it that way. It would be, no kidding. Life, be so much easier, but it's just, it was awesome. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, doves. I want to do some more dove hunting this coming year, which I need to find one, a couple more spots, and two, I just need to buy a little spinner because that just, I mean, they just. Oh, dude, they, it's, it's stupid. When you get them like right, uh, right before dark, like the, like hour and a half before dark, when they start hitting those dirt patches, it is just, it's bad. Just ring a dinner bell. That's, that's all you have to do. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, I'll go. I'll, I'll dump another one here. So, uh, coffee or energy drinks? Uh, I'm a child. Love my ghost energy drinks. Um, that's probably my close to coffee as I can get. Uh, duck hunting, I'll throw coffee in, but normal mornings do a nice little ghost energy drink. When you said you were a child, I thought he was going to throw out the the grape juice. So was that Art Diaz that was on here that said he Whoa. he drink he drinks grape juice? <laughs> was it was it Art? I think it was Art. Art yeah. Dude, Art is one of my favorite humans in the world. It's awesome, and he'll order Sprite 
like somebody's ordering like a super fancy mixed drink. Like it's the funniest thing in the world to watch him like work through and he'd be like, I'll just take a, I'll just take a Sprite. And it's like, God, Art, like just loosen up a little bit, man. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Art's yeah. We, we had him on a while ago to talk about all Claire. That was, that was a fun episode. Yeah. Art's awesome. He's yeah. great people. Um, all right, Jeff, you want to, you want to jump in? You want me to keep going here? I'll do a few. So okay. in honor of Matt, who isn't here today, one of our other co-hosts, this is his, his go-to sky blast question. So what is your favorite mount or taxidermy that you have in your house? If you even okay, have so any. It's, it's not in my house. I have, uh, I have two Mexican mallards. So I have a big stick, like a, uh, it's like a hallway going down my stairs. And if you guys are familiar with West Virginia university, I have a big flying WV hanging in the middle of that. And then I have two Mexican mallards, uh, uh, which were the first two birds killed with fast deal plus or Mexican mallards down in Corpus Christi. Um, but it's not my mount. I took a buddy up to the, uh, the great American outdoor show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania this past weekend. And there was a guy that had squirrels that he mounted uh there was three squirrels that were participating in a devil's threesome um like just the most egregious mounts and my buddy ended up buying (laughs) a big fox squirrel that was like leaned over a bud light can acting like it was all drunk and that's probably my favorite mount of all time but i'll see if i can get his name that I'll send you guys. Over I was going to say, send us a please, picture of that one. <laughs> because I, I tried to look it up. Like I couldn't find anything on it, but it was just like, he had little raccoons that were in little canoes paddling around. Like it was hilarious. The stuff that <laughs> I don't even know how he did it, but it was just like, the longer you looked at his booth, it was just like, wow, he's making money off this stuff. Like It was just it was bad. It was. We so have bad. to check that out. I feel like that could be like a great gag gift opportunity to buy something like that for uh-huh. your buddy. Yeah, just shows up in a box on his doorstep. <laughs> yeah, I like. I wish I would have. It was like I think he paid like two hundred fifty bucks for it, but it was just like, like worth it. It's just priceless. Absolutely <laughs> priceless. That's great. All right, my next one. So obviously you probably you've shot probably pretty much every shotgun under the sun, but what is your shotgun manufacturer of choice? Stole that one. Mm. Ah. My personal gun. I'll probably catch some flack for this, but I shoot a Rate Massimara, the most nice. for my personal gun. Okay. And I've I've put that thing through the ringer. Um use it as a boat or I've <laughs> dropped it in the river and had it freeze up. I put it on the grill on the boat, thawed it out, threw some WD-40 on it and kept hunting. I mean, it's, you name it, that thing is, it just eats everything. Never failed on me. I think you're the second guest we've had that have said, Rite. I'm pretty sure yes. Zach Weaver yeah. shoots that too, was right? It, was it was it Zach? I, I think it was Zach, it was. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah, they're close. They're out of Eastern Maryland. And it's like three hours from us. And I got to be good friends with uh, Jesse Hyling with Rite. That'd be another okay. great guest for you guys to have. He's an awesome, awesome yeah, character. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, what was his name again? Jesse Hyling. Jesse Hyling. Okay. I don't have to remember that one. Awesome. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. I have one more, one more, and then Tyler, you can you can finish it off here. What is your what is your go to Kent waterfall load for ducks? 
Uh, fast steel plus twos and fours. Everything. It doesn't matter what comes in. It's not not making it back out. Awesome. All right, Tyler. All right. Uh, Hunter, have you ever been to Wisconsin? No. Okay. Which is rare now. Um, I don't think I don't think so. No. Okay. I want to. We got a lot of turkeys out here too. Easterns as well. You guys have like a crazy high bag limit, don't you? Uh, for turkeys, well, you have to. You can apply for like your primary permit early in the season. So we have, Mm -hmm. I think there's A through F periods, and they run. They're like a week long or so through the whole spring. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is, depending on what zone you're hunting in, you can get bonus tags. So, like, I hunt in a zone that's there's a really high population of turkeys, and it's farmland country, so there's not a ton of hunters. It's not yep. like very populated. So I could probably get, you know, three or four tags a year if I wanted to. Um, awesome. And they're like 10 bucks a pop for these bonus extra tags. So you have your, your initial one, which I think is $3, and then all the bonus ones are $10 a tag. Jeez. So. Yeah. Some of, some of the areas like we're in Southeastern Wisconsin is where we live. Um, I hunt up in the farmland area in the central part of the state, but down by us, the the population is, it's a lot, it's a lot higher. So it's very difficult to get a high number of tags, yep. but middle parts of the state, man, you can, you can shoot a lot of birds up there if you want. Yeah. <laughs> I can, I can imagine. Now, yeah. are you guys going to be at Pheasant Fest at all? No. Not at yeah, Pheasant, Pheasant Fest. Fest. You're gonna or, do no, what? That's a hike from you guys. Yeah, you, last you year it was in Minnesota. Yeah, last year it was in Minnesota. I think I, I wanted to get up there for that, but yeah, it was in Minneapolis, and now it's in the homeland of Ardea's Sioux Falls. Yeah, Sioux that's, Falls. That's right. Yeah, that's a hike. That is a yeah. long ways. Yeah. You're gonna do what the open season expo, right, Tyler? Okay, Hunter's gonna be at that. Yeah, that's Dells? that's that's the consumer facing show um, mm. for us and for for the, the retail side. So yeah, we'll be up there, but um, that's the only one we were at shot show, obviously. So, mm-hmm. um, which speaking of shot show, speaking of Vegas, actually, what is, what's your favorite place you ate at in Vegas? Oh man. Uh, Joe's seafood and Caesars. Okay. Um, I'm a big, have you guys ever heard of the TV show justified? Yes. Yes. So I'm a massive justified fan and uh one of the in the one of the first episodes they eat at joe's seafood and yeah joe's seafood prime steak and stone crab there's four of them um and one's in caesar's and it is the best steak you'll ever have and stone crabs are amazing but yeah joe's is far and above anything i've ever had okay you had me at uh, prime steak and then stone crab so Mm -hmm. I think right. I had like a hundred forty dollar wagyu steak that was like just butter. Oh. Really, it was. Yeah, Yummy. it was something special. Oh, there's never, there's never a, there's never a sky blasting session that comes where I don't ask about food. So that was the one there. Um, yeah, no. All right, last one I have since Jeff Jeff took my shotgunning question is uh, what is the what is a dream or bucket list hunt you have that's left on your list. <laughs> Oh, I have I have way too many of them. Um, next one on the list will probably be elk in Wyoming. Okay, well, elk or mule deer. Either either one. I got. I think I have like three or four points now. 
Okay. Saved up. So just got to keep throwing my freaking hat in the ring for that one. But I think we might end up doing squeezing out a pronghorn hunt this year. Got a couple months to apply for that. But I guess I'll get to see what a 300 wind mag does to a pronghorn. But I imagine it's going to do something special. Um, but it is what it is, I guess. I think uh, I think that would do the trick. Yeah. 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 The pronghorn and the three behind of it, but <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's that's all I've got for sky blasting question. That's a good way to 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 wrap up the question portion. Hunter, if people have questions about Ken Cartridge, they have questions for you. If they want to look you guys up on social media, what's the best way to to contact you to follow your socials to contact okay. the company? Um. So Kent Cartridge is just your normal. I think it's just Kent underscore Cartridge. Um, and then mine is HK Colbert six. No, HK Colbert. That's all it is. Bunch of pictures of dead turkeys on it. That is how you can find me on that one. Um, but that I don't, I don't really use, it's kind of bad. I do socials for a living and don't really use my social media at all. Um, but yeah, the Kent DMs always open, typically get back to you within a day or so. Um, but, and then any, any consumer shows, anybody listening to this that wants to come chop it up, NWTF, Delta, DU, I really, if Kent's there, I'll probably be the face of it. Um, love chopping it up with guys, have a great crew with me more often than not that they're the 60 day duck hunters that just knock the snot out of ducks. So it's, it's a fun time. Perfect. Excellent. Uh, definitely do that. If you're, if you're traveling to any of these shows, I would definitely recommend, recommend stopping in, saying hello to Hunter, um, talking about, talking about Kent and the next box of Kent shells you're going to buy. I think, uh, that'll be sometime here soon. I'm going to have to make, we're have to make the trip over to Fleet Farm, Jeff, and see what they got left in stock here and, and, uh, get ready for, get ready to fill up or stock up for the season. I think that's, that's on the docket here. So if you've made it this far in the podcast, thank you for tuning in. If you have 10 seconds, leave us a review. It means the world to us. If you want to start uh, a couple conversation, you have questions, feedback for us, we're on all the social channels, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you name it, you'll find us there. Uh, thank you for tuning in, and we will uh, see you next week.